Well, good morning, church family. Uh, this is the uh, point in our gathering where we turn our attention to God's Word. And so um, we are going to look at a passage in John 15. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand. There should be some folks that pass Bibles around. Uh, we want to encourage you as we gather here at East Campus that um, we bring our Bibles. We want to be people of the book. We believe that there is something really special with a Christian hearing the Word of God preached and they have the book in their hands. And so if you don't have it, don't worry. We'll remind you again next week and we'll keep going from there. John 15. We've been hearing the Word of God preached through a series on the I Am sayings. Seven I Am sayings in the Gospel of John where Jesus is making declarations about his identity. He is, he is pointing, he's giving us a clear statement on who he is and it has implications for the way we live. And last week we looked at a statement, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this week we're looking at a statement, I am the true vine. And we find these two I am statements in a unique Place in the Gospel of John. It's re often referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. And this is really significant because it's a moment where Jesus takes time to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen to Jesus as he's betrayed, killed, and raised from the dead, and ultimately ascended. John 13 through about chapter 17. And what we find in these chapters is that Jesus is tenderly caring for his disciples. We see his pastoral heart helping them understand some of the challenges they're going to face. Helping them see the resources that they have available. And John 15 actually fits at a really unique place in the upper room discourse because in John 14, Jesus has just unpacked the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a disciple. And he says, I'm going to send you a helper, someone to help you. And John 15 sits in the middle because then 16, Jesus also goes back to the Holy Spirit. And so John 15 is almost like a Holy Spirit sandwich. It's kind of the meat, the, the bones uh, in between the sandwich of the upper room discourse. So let's, let's look at this passage together. John 15 verses 1 to 13. Um, let's read this together. John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in you, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let me pray for our time together. God, we, we pause, and we are in this moment of turning our attention to your word. We want to be people who are sensitive to your truth, who are gripped by it, who are changed by it. And we know that this only happens through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, we ask for a special anointing as I try and preach your word I pray that we would be good hearers of your word, that we would be open to the way in which you want to minister to our weary souls, to challenge us, to humble us. And I just pray that I would disappear and so that you would be seen. Pray that give us a vision of Jesus for who he really is enthroned in heaven, sovereign over all, and kindly seeking and pursuing us by his grace. Pray all this in his name. Amen. So a long time ago, there was a young woman named Nico. And Nico lived in a big city in a very prominent family. If you looked from the outside you would say everything about this family would tell you that they were spiritually tuned in. And yet, Nico routinely felt like God was distant, that he was unknowable, that he was in some ways removed from everyday life. And you would find her often gazing out the window, longing for more. It was just this angst in her for something more. And we believe here at Parkview that Jesus offers something more. We believe that Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who is real, who is shaping and molding us as a people, we believe that he has provided a way to something more. And last week we saw him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet, many churchgoers can identify with Nico. Many churchgoers, if they're honest, feel like God is distant. Feel like he's maybe detached. Instead of a covenantal relationship with God, they find themselves in a transactional. Thank you. Uh, instead of a covenantal, committed relationship with God, they find themselves in a transactional relationship with God that goes something like, 
God's going to hold up his end of the bargain. I'll hold up mine. Everybody's happy. Business as usual. Instead of an intimate relationship with God, they, they find God to often feel detached and removed from their everyday life and their experience in the Christian life. Instead of a safe, loving relationship, maybe they feel as though God is always disappointed with them. And they often feel kind of this low-level guilt. If only I could do more. They feel that, you know, God, we show up in prayer. Is it your back? Like, haven't we already talked about this? If you identify with any of these descriptions, John 15 has good news for you. Because in John 15, we find the secret to an abiding, fruitful relationship with God. In John 15, we find the secret to living in constant union with God and His love. And that secret is the secret of an abiding relationship. John 15 is going to show us what it looks like to abide with God. Now, abiding. Abiding, it literally means to remain. And so if we look at this passage in the context, remember the disciples, they, they didn't have um, kind of, they didn't have the books we see in the bookstore. They didn't have you know, Christian radio, they didn't have, uh, they didn't even have the letters of Paul. All they had was this experience they had with Jesus. They knew they were changed by him. And as Jesus sits and prepares these men from, for what's about to come before them, he calls them to abide. Remain in me. Remain in me. And in chapter 14, we see Jesus hinting at this kind of abiding relationship when he says this. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus talks about how as the disciple embraces Christ loves Christ. His word abides in them. He says, God, me and God the Father are going to come and make a home with you. And this abiding relationship, the same root word is used here with home, abide, abode, abiding. And so abiding is something of recognizing the home that God has made in us. It's a powerful Idea And Jesus uses divine imagery to develop this experience of being home with God in our everyday lives. And there's three aspects of an abiding relationship in John 15. <clears throat> Bear with me as I work through this. <clears throat> so abiding... There's three aspects of an abiding relationship in John 15. And this is, the three aspects are union to God, delighting in the love of Jesus, and obeying the commands of Jesus. 
The secret to a vibrant, fruitful relationship with God is an abiding relationship. And an abiding relationship is union to God, delighting in the love of Jesus and obeying the commands of Jesus. So abiding is union to God. Union to God is really the heart and soul of the vine imagery. And if you look at, in the bulletin, there's an image of a vine and branches and fruit. And there's a point at which that branch is connected to the vine. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand about our relationship to him. We are united to Christ. And that changes everything. As he's introducing this imagery, Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. And there's something incredibly powerful packed into that statement. I am the true vine. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, I am the true Israel. You see, oftentimes in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as God's vineyard or God's vine. But often, really every time that they were referred to as a vine, it was in the context of judgment, that they hadn't produced good fruit. And one of those times is Isaiah 5. Listen to the prophet. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? What the prophet is in the Lord is saying is I looked to Israel for that fruitful, sweet grape and they produced sour wild grapes that were only good for the birds. They were useless. And we see God pronouncing judgment on Israel for that. Jesus is contrasted to all the failures of Israel because Jesus claims to be the true vine. He is the one with whom Israel pointed to. And he is the one who will produce good fruit. Second part of that first verse is about the Father. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser, or the farmer. And so you get this image. Jesus is the vine. And we'll eventually get to we are the branches. But the Father is the farmer, tending to the vine. The Father is the farmer. He's the one responsible for the fruit. And there's two main ways that the father tends to the vine. The first way is he cleans the vine. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. He removes. And then every branch that is fallen off the vine, he gathers together and throws in the fire. And this, this, is, this is a warning for us as God's people. Because what we see in this parable or image that Jesus is using is that there are people in the church who talk the talk and walk the walk, 
but don't really produce any fruit. There are people who look the part, but in a sense are hollow on the inside. Maybe, folks, where you get close enough to them, you realize something is wrong. And we must allow this type of warning to challenge us. It must help us be serious about evaluating our union with God. About evaluating the fruit. And this is not something that should ever be done alone. Um, is, is something important to say here. That we want to be serious about evaluating our relationship to God. But we also don't want to do that alone. We want people around us. Because oftentimes when we're in a rough patch, when we're going through hard stuff, we're, we're pretty down on ourselves. And we might not see everything that's actually there. The second main way that the father tends to the vine is through pruning. The father cuts the vine that is bearing fruit. He prunes. He is shaping the branch to look like what he desires, which is Christ-likeness. He is pruning so that it would bear more fruit. Abiding is union with God. And this union with God is the access point by which fruit is born. And change happens. I was, uh, I was home this weekend with some family. My brother's getting married, and so his fiance had a wedding shower. And um, I was talking with him about this passage, because I was like, I gotta, I'm preaching on Sunday on this passage. And we were reflecting on John 15. And it was, it was interesting, because there was a point in the conversation when he leaned back. And he, and he just made some comments about how powerful is this image? The vine and the branches. And he said, you know what's interesting is if you look at a branch and you point at the branch and you say, what is that? You call it by the name of the plant. And so in a sense, if we were pointing at the branch, we would say, what is that? Someone would say, a grapevine. It's almost as if in this imagery that we are so attached by God that it changes our identity. It changes, we, we, are, we have become in God. And it's such a powerful metaphor. Now, the branch is passive. It's important to see that the branch is passive in this, uh, in this metaphor. Cultivating fruit is God's responsibility. And I wonder sometimes that we get that mixed up a little bit. That we feel we take responsibility for the fruit bearing. And almost we feel like it's our responsibility to create and cultivate good fruit. Almost like if there was a, a, a draft for the most fruitful branches and God the Father and Jesus are going to the, the draft and they're saying, okay, who, which branch are we going to recruit for our vineyard? And that's not the way this image is working. Tim Chester uh, 
is a really great author. He writes this about the Christian life. He says, We tend to think of growth in the Christian life as pushing a boulder uphill. But in light of the teachings of Jesus, it looks more like pushing a boulder downhill. And this is what union to God is really helping us understand. That we are attached to the vine. The vine is where the nutrients are and the Father is cultivating in us. He is pruning us so that we might bear more fruit. The responsibility of fruit bearing is on God. The second aspect of an abiding relationship is delighting in the love of Jesus. Delighting in the love of Jesus. There are two commands in the whole passage. The first one is abide in me. The second one is abide in my love. And delight is not necessarily in the passage, but I think it gets at the thrust of what Jesus is saying. If you think about, he's with his disciples. And he has this this moment where he can speak into how they're going to live these next few days and few years. And he says, remain in me and remain in my love. In a sense, Jesus is He's highlighting and underlining the main nutrient that I am pushing up to you as the branch is love. And he says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus points at the greatest love that he has ever known, the love of the Father. And there's a lot we could say about the the love relationship between the Father and the Son. But as I reflected and studied and looked at, there are two themes that help us understand John 15. The first is self-giving love. There is a self-giving love. God the Father, at times we find what he did with the Son, is He gave His authority to the Son. God the Father gave His right to authority to the Son. And then we also see a warm welcome. Self-giving love and warm welcome. Consistently, the Father is attentive to the Son. The Son slips away to pray and to, to engage with the Father. There is a warm welcome. When Jesus is baptized, the declaration over him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Self-giving love and warm welcome. And we see this reflected in Jesus' love for his disciples. Self-giving love primarily is referring to the cross. Jesus has spent time with his disciples. He has loved them. He has cared for them. And will ultimately love them the greatest on the cross. He gives up his right to kingship and dies the death of a criminal for his disciples. And also we see this warm welcome in the the love of Jesus for his disciples. When Jesus is raised from the dead, the first person 
in the Gospel of John that he sees is Mary. And Mary's frantic, like, where's Jesus' body? And he mistakes Jesus for the gardener. And he says, hey, if you took him, tell me where it is. Because I want to take care of his body. And Jesus doesn't kind of knock on her head, Mary, it's me. In the narrative, the tone of Jesus is one of Mary. Mary. And he immediately recognizes her. When Jesus appears to his disciples, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. There is this warm welcome in the love of Jesus for his disciples. And so abiding is delighting in the love of Jesus. This is the main nutrient that is being pushed from the vine to the branch. It is where the fruit comes from. And so the question that would help us start pushing this passage into our lives. When was the last time that you were delighting in the love of Jesus? Not not hearing about the love of Jesus, not knowing about it, not reading about it, but when was the last time that you were moved by it? When was the last time that you were gripped by God's love for a sinful humanity. I think sometimes part of the reason we feel detached from the relationship with the love of Jesus is because we distort the relationship and take full responsibility for it. Like I was talking about before. We, we feel like it's our job to bear the fruit. We feel like it's our job to be the farmer and to cultivate and to prune. And we've got to get things all set up. But Jesus is welcoming us to delight in his love. To enjoy his love. And this is his kindness to us. The last aspect of abiding is obeying. Abiding is obeying the commands of Jesus. Immediately after this command, abide in my love, he quickly gives the disciples what it looks like in practice. So we receive and delight in the love of God, but it doesn't stop there. It is moved out into action, into obedience. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. One commentator writes of this, he says, The spirit of obedience secures to the disciples the enjoyment of Christ's love. You want to remain in the love of God? You want to stay so close to it? cherishing it, delighting in it, walk in the way of Jesus. Obey his commandments. Learn what the Bible teaches about how we should live and walk in it. This is the place where we will fully experience continual, ongoing delight in the love of Jesus. Now, God's love is totally a gift. It is undeserved. It is freely given. But our ongoing delight in that love 
is partly about our response to that love. We, we, we receive the powerful, undeserving love of God, but continual delight in it is about obedience. It's about staying on the path that he has outlined is the good life. Most of us, when we drive to a place that we've never been, we use GPS, maybe on our smartphone. If you're, if you're really smart, you have, like a, you have something to hold your iPhone, and so you just set it right there, and you're driving along. And the GPS, there's a line, right? There's a line that shows you your route. And sometimes there's an arrow pointing you, and it just, your job is just to stay on the line. Just to keep driving on that line, and it'll get you to where you need to go. This is essentially what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that I have shown you the way through my teachings, through my commandments, through connecting the Old Testament into the New. I have given you the way to the good life. Abide in my love and keep abiding in my love by obeying the commandments that I have given you. And what this does is this guards us from defining abiding in God's love as some mystical kind of experience. It, it really guards us from license. So the belief that, hey, God's going to forgive me, so why does it matter how I live my life? That is a misunderstanding of the gospel, of the grace of God. For those of us who really appreciate the grace of God, we know that it must be put into action. It must be received and then practiced. And so, union to God, delighting in the love of Jesus, and obeying his commands. These are the aspects of an abiding relationship with God. And so maybe you walked in here this morning and you feel detached. You feel distant. You feel like, hey, I look at my life and... I don't see a ton of fruit. And what John 15 is inviting us into is an abiding relationship. By seeing our union to God, if you are a Christian, by recognizing that you are united to God, you have been absorbed into God in a sense, attached to the vine, and the Father is cultivating fruit in your life. But if you're struggling, Jesus is inviting us to recognize our union to God and then delight in his love and obey his teachings. This is what it looks like to really live out and experience what he talks about, the Father and the Son making a home with us. It's so powerful to think about God making a home in us. And abiding is, is engaging and recognizing and living in that. This is that something more. And at the end of this passage, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the end result of that abiding relationship is joy. Powerful, contagious joy 
He is ready to welcome you. Let me pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your word and for the teachings of Jesus that we have access to. We thank you that we, we have this book that we get to carry around with us. Uh, we know that Christians throughout history have not had that. I pray that we would really walk away with an appreciation for the love of Jesus, an appreciation for the truth of Jesus. I pray for those who feel detached, who feel distant. Would you, by your Spirit, draw them close, show them the way. We love you and we trust you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.